0: hi everyone welcome to crime Colts and coffee
1: i'm kelsey and i'm bryn and did you want to start off with any recommendations because i know i have one sure but you can start okay i'm
0: still i'm i'm still trying to get myself unstuck from this seat right now because it's so hot out my skin is sticking
1: yeah i everything i don't have ac and if i well i have like an ac unit Yeah. But if I were to turn it on, you guys wouldn't hear me, so we're roasting. Yeah,
0: Yeah, same, roasting currently, too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's fucking hot. It's, what, 91?
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah, literally insane. I didn't even realize it was this hot until I left work because they had the AC cranking, so I was freezing all day, and everyone's coming in sweaty, like, dying. I'm like, oh, my God, how fucking hot is it out there? (laughs) 90 degrees. Yeah, I noticed
0: part of the way through the day because I was in the actual warehouse today. And my fan by my station, when I'm doing the vintage is currently covered in dust, like the overhead fan. Mm -hmm. And it got to a point where I felt like I was going to pass out and I was dripping sweat. So I went and got a little portable fan from the office to use for the rest of the day.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. So what's your
0: recommendation?
1: Well, it's not like it's a big secret or anything, but fucking Stranger Things came out. Yeah. (laughs) Have you started it?
0: Yes. And that was going to be one of mine as well.
1: (laughs) Me and Carson, I think, are on like maybe the fourth episode. That's where I
0: am, too. Really?
1: Yeah. So fucking scary this season. I swear to God, I'm like, I can't look half the time. (laughs) I don't know. It's really good, though.
0: It's so good. They did such a good job. Very yeah. pleased so far.
1: Agreed, agreed. They're making they're keeping it interesting. Mm-hmm. Crazy <laughs> to like see them grown up and everything too.
0: Yeah, it's honestly watching from the first season till now, they were such babies when they started.
1: Crazy. And
0: they're literal adults now. It's insane. Yeah. My other recommendation besides Stranger Things, did you ever
1: watch The Wilds? yes i didn't know there was a new season though you did say that
0: yes season two came out the beginning of may and i finally just finished it it is so
1: good Uh, i'm gonna have to start that i need some like plane watches so maybe i'll download some for the airplane
0: yeah and there's only like eight episodes i think it's short again but there's definitely if it gets picked up they left it open for there definitely to be a season three
1: oh my god that's awesome yeah highly recommend I loved that show
0: same it's so good
1: is that on Hulu right
0: uh Amazon Prime
1: oh Amazon Prime okay Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to look into it
0: so anything else new I don't think so I think maybe we want to jump right into our coffee review today because this is a long hopefully if we don't talk too fast a longer episode
1: yeah So I'll go first. Okay. This isn't a new coffee, but I figured it would be a perfect time to bring it back up because we haven't talked about it in a little while. And I've been drinking it every morning for like the past two weeks. So um, this is our blend, the Crime Cults and Coffee Morning Brew, and it's through carscoffee.com. And Cars is K-A-R-S-Coffee.com. So check, out, uh, check it out on their website. It's right on their homepage. And this is a coffee that Britt and I actually did like a blind tasting for. And we chose this one. So good. So this is a blend of a few different medium roasts. So it is a medium roast. I feel like this one is a bold medium roast though. And that's why we chose it. It's Mm -hmm. not weak, and it's very rich, and you can taste all the flavors in there. I feel like it has a nuttier side. But yeah, obviously, we love this one because we chose it, so I'm not going to rate it, but I did want to talk about it because I have been drinking it recently.
0: Okay, so the coffee that I'm reviewing today is from Cloveberry. Their website is cloveberry.com. And I'm not going to go too much into there about me since this was something that I had picked up. But the coffee that I'm drinking from them is an iced honey cinnamon latte.
1: Yum.
0: Yeah, and it has honey, cinnamon, espresso. Obviously, that's what's used partially to make a latte. And I would have to say this is one of my fave go-to coffees whenever I go to this coffee place. I think that the combination of the honey and cinnamon is just so good because you have that little bit of spice from the cinnamon and the little bit of sweetness from the honey. Yeah I think yeah, I think that there I always get it iced, as I mentioned before. I love iced coffee. but I think that the honey definitely stands out to me over the cinnamon when it comes to this latte.
1: Love it. Mm -hmm. And I would probably rate it an 8.5. Okay. I haven't gotten that one from there. I usually stick with my go-to like caramel latte, Mm -hmm. but I'll have to try that. I love love that coffee place.
0: Me too. And I think – I don't know if it's seasonal or not, but I know I've had like a honey lavender latte from them before too, which was also really good. Yum. And I'm currently looking on their menu And it looks like Seasonal right now Unless it's changed Because they do change their menu frequently It looks like they have a pistachio Latte right now Fuck Yeah which I didn't know So the next time I go in there I'm gonna have to try that Oh my god that sounds amazing <laughs> And also a coconut mocha Which also sounds really good
1: Ugh, Anything coconut it's mine
0: Same <laughs> pistachio coconut or hazelnut I'm there
1: yeah it's so funny I went to my friend's house this weekend and somebody brought like a tray of those Ferrero Rocher chocolate thing oh my god and it's so funny there's like a a dessert table and I'm like who the fuck brought a whole tray of Ferrero Rocher (laughs) and the kid that brought it his name's Luke shout out Luke he was like of course it was me like i love hazelnut hazelnut's the best and i was like actually it is that's my (laughs) favorite coffee creamer
0: (laughs) imagine if he was like actually my dad is the owner of the company
1: i would fucking die (laughs) be like Ferrero Rocher's for life yeah am i even saying that right i feel like it's a tongue twister
0: uh i i think you are
1: i have no idea but they're fucking (laughs) delicious and i ate like six
0: Oh my gosh they're so good the texture of them like oh. the outside and inside is just so perfect
1: fucking amazing
0: and that little hazelnut right in the middle
1: the best <laughs> sure.
0: all right so are we ready to get into it for today
1: yeah let's do it
0: okay so grab your coffee and have a morning with us today's episode comes with a trigger warning So just to make you guys aware, this case includes gruesome crime scene details. As frequent listeners probably know, we typically don't like to get into the background of the awful people behind the crimes or name the case after that person on our podcast, but in today's episode, we kind of have to because there's just so many people involved that if you were to even, like, search it online, it's going to come up under her name. You know what I mean? Yeah. So today's case is that of Belle Gunness. Her birth name was Brynhild Paulsdatter Storseth. And she was also known as Hells Belle, the Black Widow of the Midwest, the Indiana Ogress, and the Mistress of the Castle of Death. So we already know... This is going to be extreme. She was born on November 11, 1859, in Selbu, Norway. Her parents were Paul and Birrit Storseth. Belle was the youngest of eight kids. She was raised on a small farm in Inbigda, Norway, and she was Norwegian-American. At 14 years old, she worked for neighboring farms to save up money to travel to New York. And in order to rate like to accumulate this money, she would milk and herd cattle at this farm. This is an unverified story about Belle, but it is this entire thing I'm about to read is a quote from legendsofamerica.com, and I believe this also came from a book that was written about her. Quote, when she was about 18 years old, she was pregnant and attended a country dance. While there, she was attacked by a man who kicked her in the abdomen, causing her to miscarry. The man who came from a wealthy family was never prosecuted by the Norwegian authorities. Afterward, the locals said that Brynhild's personality drastically changed. A short time later, the man who had kicked her died of what was said to be stomach cancer. What the hell? Yeah. Which, if that actually happened to her, that is so beyond awful. Yeah, that's disgusting. But we'll get further into what's to come. In 1881, she moved to the U.S. and she went through immigration at Castle Garden. Castle Garden was located in Battery Park in Manhattan, New York, and was actually the first American immigration station. Wow, I didn't know that. Neither did I, and it predated Ellis Island. Wow. Which is crazy because I've been to Ellis Island so many times, and I've always just thought that that was the first place where immigration, like, occurred in in New York City into the U.S. Yeah. And obviously it wasn't. Wow, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. And I put... I actually linked the Wikipedia page for Castle Garden if you want to learn more about it. It's called something completely different now, too. So that's there for anyone who's interested to learn more about that.
1: Mm.
0: At her processing upon entering the U.S., she changed her name to Belle, which was a really common thing. And she then went to Chicago where her sister Nellie had already been living for several years. In Chicago, Belle first worked as a domestic servant and then worked in a butcher's shop. At the butchers, her job was to cut up the animal carcasses into slabs of meat. So she was in the nitty and gritty of that. Yeah. Belle was later described by neighbors as quote-unquote rugged and strong. She was around 5'7", or... 170 centimeters but some articles also said five nine Holy so shit. within that range yeah pretty tall yeah and she was between 210 to 250 pounds or 95 to 113 kilograms which i part of me did not want to list her weight because that just doesn't matter but i think the reason they do in a lot of the articles is just to get the point across that she was a really stocky, described as strong woman. You know what I mean?
1: Right. So it's important.
0: So one man, and this is a quote from allthatsinteresting.com, quote, later claimed that he saw her lift a 300-pound piano all by herself. Jesus. (laughs) If that's true – I picture like one of those strong woman competitions, you know yeah, what I mean? Agreed. Or Trunchable. Shut up. I was just
1: going to say the same thing. <laughs> With the belt around her. Yes. <laughs> that's literally what I was picturing in my head as you were saying that. Same. And
0: I think that's the point they're trying to get across about this woman.
1: Insane. hmm Till death do us part. So in 1884, she married her first husband named Mauds Dietliff Anton Sorsen. They actually had met in Chicago. Belle and Mauds ended up owning a candy store there together two years later. Which That is-, is so cute. I know. I just can't imagine. That's the cutest thing ever. The candy store subsequently burnt down to the ground, though, as did their home in 1900. Hmm. Through both of these fires, the couple was entitled to insurance payouts. Was it a coincidence that they they burned down or was it real, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, you always have to think about that. If one may be a coincidence, but like two things and you know there's gonna be insurance payouts. I don't know.
0: Right. Or it's like was there someone who really didn't like them and decided to just set fire to their places?
1: Right. So Mauds and Belle had four children together named Caroline, Axel. Oh my god, Axel. I know, my little Axel. <laughs> Myrtle and Lucy. By the way, Axel's Bryn's dog. Yeah. So we don't really just love that name.
0: <laughs> I know. I wasn't just spawning over a child that I've never met. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Two of the children allegedly died from acute colitis as infants. Aww. And that was said to be Caroline and Axel we say allegedly because the symptoms of this disease were similar to those of poisoning so undetermined really what exactly happened Mm -hmm. another strange thing to mention was that some of the neighbors said bell never appeared to be pregnant with these children but you know these are rumors who knows that's scary if that's the case Maybe she pulled, like, a Kylie Kardashian and just, like, hid when she was pregnant.
0: Maybe. Or was she stealing these children?
1: Right. Both of these children, again, Axel and Caroline, were also insured. And insurance checks were collected after each of their deaths. So, I don't know. How was that approved four times?
0: Between... Two buildings burning down and two children passing away.
1: I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if they look into it. I have no idea.
0: Yeah. Or I wonder if it was a process and they cleared it.
1: You know what I mean? Or yeah. if it was an instantly approved thing. I mean, I feel like if you have an insurance policy on anyone, unless there's like foul play suspected, they can't really say anything, you know? Right. Right. Was there an investigation
0: if it looked like these children died from the acute colitis?
1: Right. So July 30th of 1900, Maud Sorson died quite suddenly. Some reports say this was from a cerebral hemorrhage, but others say the family doctor had treated Maud's for an enlarged heart and his death was from heart failure. Mm -hmm. So kind of differing stories of what happened. However, allegedly, the first doctor that saw him suspected that he had died from strychnine poisoning, which I literally don't even know what that is. But Same. Uh, I've literally never heard of strychnine.
0: I feel like this is also from, we see this a lot with older cases, and this one was from the 1900s. So,
1: yeah, I mean, things get lost in translation. Right. Bell said that Mauds had come home with a headache and she had given him quinine powder for the pain. When she checked on him later, he was dead. So who the fuck knows what quinine is? Cause I don't, but mm. um, he died after, but I, I don't think, I mean, they didn't say that it was from that. Of course, what I just said kind of backs up that it could have been several different things. Right. He had purchased two life insurance policies on the day of his death, both policies were active. One would expire that day, and the other one began. So I feel like that's it's not a coincidence. Right, red flag. How out of you, all days. How do you plan that?
0: Right, like out of all days, the one policy is supposed to end and the other one's supposed to begin, and that's the day you die.
1: And I feel like you'd have to research to know that you can collect money from both. right. So of course, due to this, Bell was able to collect money from both of the expiring and the new policy that was effective that day. So a total of 5,000 dollars, one article said that that's about150,000 dollars in today's money, while inflation calculators said about172,000 dollars. So a fuck ton of money mm-hmm. she was able to collect. Another article from Legends of America stated that she received 8500 from the policies, which would be about $292,000 today. Holy fuck. Like, what the fuck were these two planning?
0: Well, I don't think he was planning anything. He just, he had two policies because he was, one was going to end and one, a different one was going to begin.
1: Right, but what was she planning?
0: Right. Like she definitely took advantage of that situation because how else would that have ever happened?
1: Right? Like you had to know all this stuff. So, after she collected all this money, she moved to Laporte, Indiana and bought a 48-acre pig farm because that's what dreams are made of. <laughs> <laughs> For some people. Yeah. With her for the move were her daughters, Myrtle and Lucy, and a foster daughter named Jenny Olson. A strange fact, when the family had been counted in the United States Census in Chicago in June 1900, an adopted 10-year-old was also counted with the family and listed as Morgan Couch. Morgan Couch was Jenny Olson. That
0: is why wa- I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. I feel like either she changed her name after quote unquote adopting her, even though the girl was still listed as like under the census, she was adopted, but everywhere else she's listed as her foster child.
1: Right. So either
0: she changed her name after actually adopting her or was she trying to hide who this child really
1: was? Right. Like, why Jenny? Like, why would you pick that name? Yeah, it's not even her last name. Right, like Jenny Olsen. That's, I don't know. That doesn't, that's weird.
0: Or was this another, I'm not going to say another, was this a kidnapped child? Right. I'm saying another because the other ones still really don't make sense to me, but if if her neighbors said they never saw her pregnant, that's obviously a possibility. Not
1: that it actually happened, but is that what happened with this child? Reportedly, the boat and carriage houses burned down after she had bought the property. So, like, what the fuck? I, I feel like she just likes to burn things down at this point.
0: Yeah, she's like a pyromaniac.
1: Trying to make some money.
0: April 1st, 1902, Belle married her second husband, named Peter Gunness, hence the Gunness. He was a butcher and recently widowed. A week after they got married, Peter's infant daughter died while Peter was out.
1: What the fuck?
0: Yeah, and the baby was in Belle's care. She was his daughter from the previous relationship, and the cause of this baby's death is unknown. Like, what? I don't know if it just wasn't listed online, her cause of death, or if it actually wasn't known, because that's what all the articles I found regarding that baby, it said was unknown or maybe is like, unknown.
1: Yeah. Maybe they like didn't do an autopsy or something.
0: Yeah. Eight months later, Peter died from a skull injury.
1: What? Mm-hmm. And what the this fuck?
0: this gets crazier. Wait till you hear the story behind it. Allegedly, when Peter went to reach for something A sausage grinder had fallen from a wobbly shelf and hit him in the head, crushing his skull. What? If that is a case... If that's the actual case, that is a horrific death, having a sausage grinder crush your head.
1: But it it also doesn't make
0: sense because he was a butcher, meaning he... I feel like he'd be more cautious or... Or know how to handle or reach for
1: this machinery without that happening. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know, maybe I'm not an expert on sausage grinders, but I feel like they're the force of one coming off of a shelf shouldn't be enough to kill you unless it's fucking huge.
0: Right. Like if it's one of those industrial meat slicers or whatever, but why would it be on a shelf, high up shelf then? Right. The district coroner suspected murder. Another article said a coroner believed it was an accident. Unsure again if this is conflicting info due to the time period or if the district coroner and the coroner were two separate people with two different opinions. $3,000 was ultimately collected from his life insurance policy for his death, and this is about $103,000 today. Like,
1: what the fuck? Is nobody seeing a pattern here at this point?
0: For real, though. And she's just racking up this money and burning shit to the ground and literally taking people's lives. That's insane. Allegedly, Belle's foster daughter, Jenny Olsen, had told classmates, quote, My mama killed my papa. She hit him with a meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell a soul
1: what
0: Uh uh-huh and that's a quote from all that's interesting.com
1: what the fuck
0: i feel like that's totally plausible though because a kid would go to school and tell her friends if something like that
1: happened right like not knowing that it's a huge deal Mm -hmm. that's fucking horrible
0: not long after peter's death jenny was no longer living at the farm Bell said that Jenny had been sent to a school in California, a Lutheran college in Los Angeles, to be
1: more specific um is it because she told her classmates that you killed her dad? I it was right after that. What the fuck
0: at the time of his death? Bell was pregnant, and in May nineteen o three she had a baby named Philip, as if she needs any more children right. A year after Peter's death, his older daughter, Swanhild, went to live with Peter's brother, Gust, in Wisconsin. So thank God, like, she got out of there. I know, for real. Especially since it wasn't even Belle's child and she the infant was already potentially murdered. Right. Like, who knows what she would have then done to the older child and he's not around anymore. So fucked up help wanted is the next what we're naming the next section 1905 bell began posting marriage and personal ads to find a new husband
1: dear god how has nobody caught on
0: (laughs) these were reportedly posted in chicago and norwegian language newspapers and here's an example of one that was posted Quote, personal, comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in LaPorte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with view of joining fortunes. Oh my God. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. And that's a quote from
1: allthatsinteresting.com. I feel like she's just like, does this happen commonly back then? This is the weirdest shit I've ever heard. (laughs) I feel
0: like it potentially may have, but the wording of that one is just red flag after red flag because first of all, she's saying she wants to join your fortunes and you've never met.
1: Right. Second,
0: she's saying don't reply unless you're like planning to come out here and see me in person.
1: And, like, basically just move in.
0: Right. And if you're not serious, like, if you're a trifler, just don't fucking apply. That's insane. Yeah. Her wording is pretty funny, though, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Some men answered and also reportedly arrived with thousands of dollars. What? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe we should try this. No. It's oh i don't know it's it's a very strange concept we should just copy and paste her quote and like put it in the newspaper
0: and see if anyone responds yeah (laughs) so the first man that i'm gonna talk about his name was henry gerholt and he was a farmhand from wisconsin he went to laporte and sometime after arriving had written a letter to his family He said that he liked the farm, requested them to send seed potatoes, and said he was in good health. And after that, his family had never heard from him again. Great. They contacted Belle and she told them that Henry had left for Chicago with horse traders. Oddly, Henry left without his trunk or fur overcoat.
1: How fucking convenient.
0: Yeah, like, let me just take off to Chicago and not bring my entire trunk of things with me.
1: I'm s- this is insane. So, the next person is named John Moe, and he answered an ad in 1906. He was from Elbow Lake, Minnesota. They spoke back and forth for several months, and he eventually made the trip to LaPorte. John withdrew a bunch of cash. He brought actually more than $1,000 with him wow. and was at the farm for about a week. So that's a lot of money to just, like, carry with you.
0: Right. And remember, $1,000 back then is would have been way more now In right. currency.
1: He was never seen after that. A carpenter who randomly did work at the farm said that John's trunk also stayed behind if he had in fact left the carpenter said that there were also more than a dozen other trunks in the home
0: that is so fucking scary because
1: you know she did not buy all those trunks for herself that's the equivalent of like walking into somebody's house today and seeing like 12 full suitcases just like chilling yeah with other people's shit in them that's insane so the next person is named George Anderson. He arrived at the farm also with money in hand. He was from Tarkio, Missouri. One night he woke up to see Belle leaning over his bed, looking at him with a candle in her hand. I'm Ugh. sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but that's fucking scary as Insert
0: happened. horror scream here.
1: Oh, yeah, right. George was really freaked out by this, of course, and the quote-unquote ravenous expression in Belle's eyes. He screamed, and then Belle ran out of the room. Like, what was she planning on? Just, like, staring at him? That's fucking creepy. She's probably about to do something. Right? He up and left the home without his belongings and got on the next train to Missouri. Fucking smart man, George. Uh-huh. He's like, fuck my trunk. She can add that to her collection. Right. Like, what do you think these people are saying when they see all these things, though, when they come over? The next person is o. B. Budsberg. He was a widower a widower from Iola, Wisconsin. April 6, 1907, he was last seen at LaPorte Savings Bank. Like, oh, come that, on. That cannot be a good sign. He had mortgaged his Wisconsin land, signed a deed, and got thousands in cash. He was never seen again. His sons wrote to Belle asking about their father, and she claimed she had never even seen him. How convenient, because he was literally at the bank in her town. Right. This is ridiculous. The next person is Andrew Halgalin. He was a farmer from Aberdeen, South Dakota. Found her ad in the newspaper in the Minneapolis Tidana in 1906. Andrew and Bell began writing to each other. An excerpt from one of the letters that Bell had written. Quote, we shall be so happy when once you get here. My heart beats in wild rapture for you, my Andrew. I love you. Come prepared to stay forever. <gasps> Ew. Come prepared to stay forever. Meaning bring all of your money and you'll never go home. That is terrifying. What the fuck? January 3rd, 1908. Andrew moved to the farm in Laporte. And he had a check with him for $2,900, which is a lot of fucking money. Mm-hmm. At some point, mirroring what happened before, Andrew stopped answering letters from his family. His brother, Asol began to demand to know where his brother was. Go Asol! I know, right? Bell gave all kinds of responses suggesting that maybe Andrew had gone to Norway or Chicago but Aisle was suspicious and not falling for her shit. One of the farmhands told the New York Tribune, quote, Miss Gunnis received men visitors all the time. A different man came nearly every week to stay at the house. She introduced them as cousins from Kansas, South Dakota, Wisconsin, from Chicago. She was always careful to make the children stay away from her, quote unquote, cousins. If the neighbors are noticing, come on.
0: And a different man came nearly every week. That is fucking terrifying, considering we know something really awful is going on.
1: I just don't understand how, like, nothing was ever reported and this just kept happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And how people
0: weren't catching on and actually doing something about it. And she was just collecting all this fucking money and life insurance and Insurance from fires, right. An angry farmhand. There was a man named Ray Lamphere, and he worked on Bell's farm and had wanted a relationship with her. God fucking knows why. He wasn't a fan of all the men that would come and go from the farm. Bell and Ray allegedly had a relationship at some point, but it ended when Andrew Helgeline had gone to the farm. Ray was described as her, quote-unquote, on-and-off lover. April 27th, 1908, Belle went to an attorney to make a will and said that Ray had threatened her. She said she fired him and he went crazy. And then she told the attorney, quote, I fear one of these nights he will burn my house to the ground. Oh my god. So... Let's all think about that for a second. Yeah, for real. Belle left the attorney and bought toys for her kids and two gallons of kerosene. Hmm. Which is odd, too. You're making a statement and you feel like someone might burn your house to the ground and you go ahead and buy kerosene. Not suspicious at all. Yeah, and what, to, like, give to them so they can burn your house to the ground?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Later that night slash early morning hours of April 28th, 1908, The farmhouse was set on fire and burned to the ground. my god. Was it Belle? Was it Ray, the farmhand? Was it some other scorned lover or an angry family member of a missing loved one? What do you think? Honestly,
1: I think it was the crazy bitch that's been setting shit on fire.
0: Yeah, same. In the basement rubble... Three of Belle's children's bodies were found. No. The headless body of a woman was also found. And this headless woman was first assumed to be Belle Gunness. Along with this body was a set of teeth. And Lamphere was charged. Remember, Lamphere was the farmhand. He was charged with arson and murder. When he was arrested, he was wearing John Moe's overcoat and Henry Gerholt's watch. Police began searching the farm for the woman's missing head. Like, come on, Ray. You're not helping your case. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: But then again,
0: like, he could have been gifted those to him by Belle. That's true. Or, yeah, or who knows, like, if he was working alongside her or... There was just, like, all these men's clothes lying around. He was just like, okay, I'm going to wear this.
1: Right. It's crazy. So now on to the discoveries. ASOL Helgeline, and remember that's Andrew's brother, read about the fire in the paper and decided to go to the farm to look for his brother. I freaking love ASOL. Me too. He was so vigilant. Yeah. He had also contacted the police about finding letters written between his brother and Bell. This is a Wikipedia quote, quote, the letters included petitions for him to relocate to La Porte to bring money and to keep the move a secret, not red flags at all. Mm-hmm. At the farm, he helped the police with digging through rubble. Eventually, he asked one of the farmhands named Joe Maxson. If he knew of any hole being dug on the property, Maxson said Actually, yes, and he told ASOL that Bell asked him to level dozens of ground depressions. Ah <sighs> Like, are you kidding? Apparently he was told it was to cover trash. So ASOL decided to dig to try to find any clues as to what his like where his brother was. ASOL and the farmhand dug up a pile of solid dirt in the pig pen, which was full of depressions in the ground. Within this dirt spot, they found a gunny sack that had, quote, two hands, two feet, and one head. Not only that, but Aisle immediately recognized that who they had found was parts of his brother, Andrew. Like, imagine fucking digging up the ground, just looking for clues and finding your brother. At the same time,
0: though, that is so crazy that out of all the depressions, he picked the one with his brother in it. Right. Like, he was meant to find his brother.
1: Yeah. As a sign, yeah.
0: That is so sad, but so, like, I'm glad he found him, you know?
1: Yeah. With further digging, investigators found 11 of these burlap sacks within two days Listed below is further graphic details of what was found at the crime scene, so if you don't want to listen, turn the podcast off. This is a Wikipedia quote. Quote, further digging and investigation at the site yielded multiple burlap sacks containing torsos and hands, arms hacked from the shoulders down, masses of human bone wrapped in loose flesh that dripped like jelly from trash-covered depressions. That proved to be graves. In each case, the body had been butchered in the same manner. The body decapitated, the arms removed at the shoulders, and the legs severed at the knees. Blunt trauma and gashes characterized the skulls that were found and that had been separated from the bodies. Oh my god, that is so beyond awful. And it literally just came back to me that she worked at a butcher shop. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, she knew what she was doing, and it was so calculated and horrifying. Yeah, and it was probably just
0: as awful and disgusting as this sounds. It was probably, like, second nature to her because she had been a butcher for years. Right. Which I really, really hope that whatever happened to these people, it was painless and quick, and all this disgust happened after I know. You know, it's it's so sick. It's beyond sickening and beyond evil. Oh my God.
1: Bones had been crushed on the ends. Quicklime was scattered over the faces and stuffed in ears. Watches from eight men were found, and some were wrapped in oilcloth. Oh my God, this is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Some of these eleven sacks were found in a pig pen. Some were found near an outhouse in a lake. After finding these 11 within two days, quote, the police stopped counting. AKA, there was more than that found, but they didn't count. There were at least 14 people that had been, without wanting to sound insensitive, pieced together from the remains on the property but there's speculation of more than 40 fucking victims. Oh my god, I'm gonna throw up. How is one person able to get away with all of that without anybody being suspicious?
0: I don't know because the crazy part about it is there were so many obvious red fucking flags that should have raised attention because in reality she wasn't that smart about it. No. But somehow was getting away with all of this.
1: After the fact, quote, Neighbors noted that Gunness had begun to spend an unusual amount of time at her hog pen at night. She also seemed to spend a lot of money on wooden trunks, which witnesses said that she could lift like a box of marshmallows and that was a quote from all that's interesting so like i wonder what she was doing with the freaking wooden trunks i mean come on potentially burying people that's crazy how did nobody like put that together though
0: yeah and why aren't people reporting this not that it the blame should be put on them that it wasn't reported but if you're noticing these things and you're like wow this is
1: really fucking unusual yeah i don't know Due to these findings, the entire case, which includes the deaths, the fire, the farmhand Ray being guilty, were all reassessed. Horrible. Obviously, conclusions were jumped
0: to. Right. And then all of this was discovered and they are like, wait a fucking second. Yeah. So now I'm going to get into some identifications that were made. The children... Myrtle, who was eleven, Lucy, who was nine, and Philip, who was five, oh. were all identified. Jenny Olson, which was Bell's foster daughter, had also been found, so she didn't go to Los Angeles no. after she told her classmates, I'm assuming Bell was like, "Well, that's that because I, I don't I don't know how this wasn't pieced together. I really just don't get it." Yeah. As mentioned, Andrew Helgeline had been identified by his brother. Ole B. Budsberg of Wisconsin, who Kelsey mentioned earlier, was also identified. Thomas Lindbow of Chicago, Henry Gerholt of Scandinavia, Wisconsin, Olaf Svenherud of Chicago, John Moe of Minnesota. Olaf Lindblom of Wisconsin, Benjamin Carling of Chicago, two unidentified children had also been discovered. The headless woman was never officially identified, if it was or wasn't Belle. And sadly, most of the remains could not be identified that were found on the farm. Oh my god. And now there's an even longer list that I'm going to get into. And I'm going to do my best to pronounce these names and sorry if there are mispronunciations, we tried to look as much as we could up. These were people that are believed to be additional victims of Bell, but their bodies were either never found or they were not proven to be murdered by her. William Mingay of New York City. Herman Conitzer of Chicago, Charles Edmund of Indiana, George Berry of Illinois, Henry Bazige of LaPorte and his hired man named Edward Canary of Illinois, Tuns Peterson Lean of Minnesota, a gold ring marked quote SB may twenty eighth, nineteen oh seven was also found in the ruins. so this could be someone with the initials sb or this person was given the ring by someone with the initials sb so if anyone has any information on that please come forward george williams of pennsylvania ludwig Stoll of pennsylvania benjamin carling of chicago aug gunderson of wisconsin Ole Oleson of Michigan, Lindner Nicholson of South Dakota, Andrew Anderson of Kansas, Johan Sorensen of Missouri, a man named Hinckley, Christy Hilkvin of Wisconsin, Chairs Nyberg, a Scandinavian immigrant who lived in Philadelphia, John H. McJunkin of Caropolis, Olaf Jensen, a Norwegian immigrant of Indiana. Bert Chase of Indiana, George Bradley of Illinois. T.J. Tiefland of Minneapolis, Frank Rydinger of Wisconsin. Emil Tell of Missouri, Lee Porter of Oklahoma. John E. Hunter of Pennsylvania. Abraham Phillips of West Virginia. A daughter of Mrs. H. Weitzer of Toledo, Ohio. An unknown man and woman are alleged to have disappeared in September 1906, the same night Jenny Olson went missing. Gunnis claimed they were a Los Angeles quote-unquote professor and his wife who had taken jenny to california what and that was a quote from legends so that seems pretty sketch well wow. and i think connected agreed a brother of miss jenny graham of wisconsin a hired man from ohio age 50 name unknown bell became the heir to his horse and buggy and an unnamed man from Montana, same situation as above. Bell became the quote unquote heir to his horse and buggy. And you can check out the Legends of America and Murderpedia articles in our resources to read up on more information about these individuals and how they were believed to be connected to Bell and her farm. There's a lot more like detail on those sites.
1: That's a fuck ton of people. Yeah.
0: Honestly, it's such a fucking long list. It's so sickening. Like,
1: how does one person do this?
0: Right. And if you read how they're potentially connected, I hate to say it, but I, I think almost all of them make sense, Ugh. which is so
1: disturbing. Yeah. So here's some aftermath. The Gunnis Farm became a tourist attraction when the public found out about the crimes, which I think is horrible. Mm-hmm. November 1908, Ray Lampfear was convicted of arson, but not murder. In one reported confession, he said that Belle Gunnis had been using advertisements to lure men to the farm to rob and murder them, which he's not wrong about. He said that she asked him to burn down the home with the, her children inside. like what he also said that the decapitated woman was planted to be bell to mislead the investigators and fake her own death apparently these measures had been all taken due to bell's concern about andrew's brother coming to investigate the disappearance holy though his brother must have been like very persistent and it scared her however other reports claim that he said that he didn't see her kill anyone and didn't know she had killed anyone. So who knows what the truth is there. There has been speculation of a second confession made by Ray. In this, Ray was said to have contacted Reverend Edwin Shell and gave him a verbal confession that the Reverend transcribed and then Ray had signed the confession. Which is also strange that the reverend wrote it out. Right. Maybe so it was like proof of something. I don't know. Yeah. This is a Wikipedia quote. In the confession, Lamphere said that he had killed Miss Gunnis and children with an axe, sprinkled the bodies with kerosene, and set fire to them in the house. It gave details of the slaying and told of his part in the former murders which occurred at the Gunness Farm. His task usually being the burying of the bodies in the garden. The essential fact, however, was that the murderess was not alive as a fugitive. So, like, a completely different confession, if that's the case. Like, I don't understand. Like, complete opposite. Yeah, Due to the second confession, there was an arrest of a quote-unquote accomplice named Elizabeth Smith. There's not really any further info on this arrest, only that there's still debate between the two main confessions, their inconsistencies, and whether Bell actually survived the fire or not. Lots of inconsistencies or different confession stories with this one. There's really nothing you could do about it. It's like, there's going to be inconsistencies with stories that were told hundreds of years ago a final story claimed that ray made a deathbed confession to an inmate saying that he and bill had killed 42 men together this is a quote from all it's interesting quote she would spike their coffee bash their heads in cut up their bodies and put them in sacks he explained then i did all the planting Ugh,
0: the fact that he called it planting.
1: Like what? That's so sickening if that's true. Honestly, this would make sense though, because how does one person do this? And I don't know, if I feel like if the neighbor saw him outside being a farmhand, you wouldn't question it. Right. And she did all the
0: the murdering and the quote unquote
1: like butcher work of it, which is fucking disgusting. Yeah. Another part of his story was if she was overly tired, Belle would chop up the remains and feed them to the pigs. What the fuck?
0: Oh, that's so disgusting.
1: Sheriff blamed a a Chicago American reporter for creating the Belle escaped story. But did she escape? Honestly, I wouldn't put it past her. Mm Mm-hmm. So was it Belle? Even with the uncertainty, Bell was somehow still pronounced dead at the age of 48. Her date of death is listed as April 28th, 1908, but is clearly not verified. This conclusion was, was apparently made through the set of teeth that had been found. Oh my god, I can't. A local dentist identified it as work done for Bell. But was it? I don't understand. How does that... ...put way into any situation... ...into the situation at all.
0: I know, because first of all... ...he's just looking at the teeth and being like... ...yeah, that's work I did for her. Right. It could be work he had done... ...the same work that had been done for someone else. Right. Or she could have removed her fucking teeth.
1: Right. That doesn't make any sense. Was the bridge work planted? Wirt, Warden ray lamphere's lawyer seemed to think that he had evidence that may have shown that one of ray's confessions also backed this up saying that bell had removed her false teeth and put them beside the woman she has posed as herself to make sure it was identified as her which of course that's i mean not that it's easy but it's a way to get around it
0: yeah and i wouldn't put that past her look at everything else she's
1: done like i just don't understand yeah
0: And I don't get how they can literally somehow list her as dead when it's not even proven that that was her. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. Just Mm -hmm. through a dentist coming forward and being like, oh, yeah, those are her teeth. Okay.
1: Like, that doesn't mean anything.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. The body found seemed to be too small to be Belle's. And the doctor who performed the autopsy even testified that the body found was approximately 5 inches shorter and around 50 pounds lighter than Belle was. And Hence understand. why we had to mention her height and weight.
1: Yeah.
0: Reports say that the woman found was around 5'3 and about 125 pounds. So, if she was 5'7 to 5'9 and around like 2 to 210 or 250 that's clearly a big difference right you can't even account for I don't even I don't want to sound disrespectful by saying this obviously but one of my first thoughts when I read that information was okay well could the woman's head missing account for that height difference you know what I mean
1: yeah, but I feel like, but I don't think you so in, you know,
0: yeah, and definitely not weight difference. Yeah. Neighbors and friends that viewed the body also said that it was not Bell. Also, strange fact, by the time she disappeared or died, it was estimated that Bell had acquired more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars over the years
1: what the fuck
0: that's more than 7.8
1: million dollars today i just don't understand what she was doing with it all like honestly she was just killing people to get their money
0: it's disgusting just no regards for human life including her own children her bank accounts were checked after this all happened and a small amount was left in one of her savings accounts All the other accounts had been completely withdrawn shortly before the fire.
1: A.K.A. she escaped.
0: A.K.A. that body is not her. No. And I, a weird thought that I had was, I wonder what the amount left in the account was. Right. Is there like a code behind what she left in there? Is there a significance behind the amount she left in the account? Right. Decades later, DNA tests were done. And DNA had been taken from the envelopes that Belle had licked. No definitive answer came from that whether it was her or not. There were reports that this DNA had been tested in 2008 and compared to DNA from the headless body of the woman. In this account, it was mentioned that the sample could not be properly tested due to its age. Damn it. It was unclear whether this was the same testing situation, hence the no definitive answer, or whether the DNA tests have been done multiple times. Right. In 1931, Esther Carlson was arrested in Los Angeles. Are you currently asking who the fuck is Esther and what does she have to do with this story?
1: Yes. Well,
0: we'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) February 9th, 1931, Esther had poisoned a Norwegian-American man named August Lindstrom. She had also tried to steal his money. While awaiting trial, she died of tuberculosis. Many people thought she resembled Belle. And she had a photograph of children that looked very similar to Belle's kids.
1: What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the fact that she went after a
1: Norwegian-American
0: man like, and wh- tried to steal his money.
1: That's not a coincidence.
0: There is a permanent Belle Gunness exhibit at the Laporte County Historical Society Museum, which is pretty fucked considering she was a serial killer, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I guess it's still part of history, but still, like, why make a- an exhibit about her?
0: Yeah, like, if anything, I would understand, because it did happen in their county, I would understand if they made an exhibit for the victims.
1: Right. But
0: calling it the Belle Gunnis exhibit, I think, is where I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Yeah. There have been ballads, films, podcasts, and books based on the life and crimes of Belle Gunnis. And actually, one of the first times I ever heard this case was from My Favorite Murder. I think they did. I think they covered it in like 2017. Wow. Yeah. They actually have they have T-shirts made that say triflers need not apply, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, that line is pretty clever, but fucked up at the same time. Exactly. To this day, no one knows if Belle had actually died at the farm that night or went on living a new life somewhere else. Ugh, what the fuck? And that's where we're at with that case right now. I feel like she lived another life. I feel the same way. Without a doubt.
1: Agreed, because, like, nothing was ever proven.
0: Right, and I'm sorry, if that woman could pull off everything she did in the 1900s when it was clear as day what she was fucking doing, she could definitely get away with starting a new life somewhere else.
1: Right, like, what the hell? This case just blew my mind. It doesn't make any sense, and I'm like, I just wish DNA worked. I mean, for this case, obviously it fucking works. But, like, why did they get anything from the envelope?
0: So they're trying to compare the body to see if it's her, right? Mm -hmm. Can't they do that then by taking DNA from the body and taking DNA from the teeth
1: that were left behind? Maybe they don't have the teeth anymore. I don't know. But why wouldn't they keep the teeth? I mean, we've seen cases where they literally throw away all of the evidence. So who knows? Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. It's so crazy.
1: Insane. Or wouldn't
0: or wouldn't nowadays can't they do some kind of thing with her one of her children? Because wouldn't they share part of her DNA?
1: Does she still have children that are alive?
0: No, but the ones that pass, can't they take DNA oh. from them?
1: Maybe they don't still have those bodies, you know. Oh my God, it's just there has
0: to be an answer.
1: I know it's disturbing.
0: And all these poor people who lost their lives due to her and then the ones who are believed to have lost their lives due to her and they just have no idea where they
1: are. Literally disturbing. Well, that's the end of this week's case. It's fucking insane. I just, I wish there was answers. Same. Hopefully, maybe DNA will pull through again
0: and... That would be amazing. I mean, the last time... I had found that it was tested was two thousand and eight. So as we know, a lot has changed, uh, changed and evolved with DNA since two thousand and eight. So maybe they'll relook into that or something.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Oh, so well, anything
0: else you want to add in?
1: Or are we ready for our spiel? I think it's spiel time.
0: Okay, let's get into it.
1: triplers oh. need not apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't email us. No, just kidding. Um, so you can go to our Facebook at Crime Cults and Coffee, and that's where we post our weekly resources and photos from every episode. You can also find us on Instagram at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where we post our weekly coffee reviews, photos, and our bio has a link tree where you can see all of our platforms that we are on. So go please check all of that out.
0: If you have a case suggestion or a listener story you can send us an email at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com or send us a dm on our instagram at crime and coffee we love hearing from you guys we will not ask you for your money like bell gunness <laughs> unless it's for a good cause like drew molinari's gofundme was yes if you listen to us on apple podcasts you can leave us a rate and a review It would really help our podcast out. You'll get a free sticker. And if you don't listen to us in a place where you can leave us a rating or review on any other listening platform of your choice, you can follow, you can like, you can subscribe, and that'll help you know when our new episodes come out every week.
1: So that is it. Thank you guys for listening.
0: Thank you. Until next week. Bye. Bye.